Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today, let us look at Psalm 109. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before Yahweh, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before Yahweh continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and the brokenhearted to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat, may it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones." May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from Yahweh, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, O Yahweh, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. I am gone like a shadow at evening. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak through fasting. My body has become gaunt with no fat. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they wag their heads. Help me, O Yahweh, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Yahweh, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a cloak. With my mouth I will give great thanks to Yahweh. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. This is the word of the Lord. Today's hymn The psalm is what we would call an imprecatory psalm. It is a psalm which is prayed against one's enemies. For this reason, it's always good with the imprecatory psalms to talk to your kids about how we are to treat our enemies. Is it good to pray against our enemies? 
I think we have to say, because it's in Scripture, the answer to that's yes. The Psalms are the hymns of the church that God inspired his people of old to write. This is not just the thoughts of David. This is God leading David to pour out his heart and to cry out to God to deliver him. In order for God to save you, you must be saved from something. And that can be a reference to any enemy. So God to save Israel, he had to destroy Egypt in the Exodus. For God to save you and me from sin, he destroyed sin. To save us from death, he destroyed death. To save us from the devil, he defeated the devil. Earthly enemies do exist. In the big picture of things, I I usually would say there are no earthly enemies. Like, man is not your enemy. Satan is. There's truth to that. But at the same time, are there enemy peoples in this world who would rather see you dead? Who would rather see Christian faith snuffed out of you and your children? Yes. And part of the prayer of an imprecatory psalm is that the Lord would snuff them out instead. And this is what paradise ends up bringing. This is what Judgment Day brings. They're not there. The enemies who seek to destroy God's church in this world will not be there. They will be snuffed out on the last day. Maybe snuffed out is not the right way to phrase it because they don't cease to exist. They go to everlasting suffering and hell, separation from God, which is what they wanted. So we can pray against our enemies. Yes, Jesus also teaches us to pray for our enemies, to love them. We can do both. We do this in other ways too, right? We pray for God to heal our body, but at the same time we pray that if it be his will, he simply take us to paradise instead. We pray for the Lord to to redeem the world, to make things better, but we also pray for Christ to come back. It's okay to pray these things. Keep them in tension with each other. That's okay. God is in control. So here David writes this hymn. Be not silent, O God of my praise. This is already the other thing I would have you discuss with your children as as an idea for you today. Why is it bad if God is silent? What has God done by speaking? For God to go silent means he's not fighting for his people because it is the Lord's word that he works through. He works through his word to bring about, to effect change in this world. So he speaks, let there be light and there is light. He speaks about everything in creation with the exception of creating man as he makes us from the dust of the earth that he's already just made. He speaks in the, throughout the Old Testament, his word, and things happen. As he prophesies, he gives the prophets the words to say. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. To give you a New Testament reference as well. So if God is speaking, he is fighting for his people, he is rescuing his people, he is saving his people, he is caring for his creation, he is caring for you, he's caring for me. This is good. May the Lord speak. Wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me. So don't be silent, God, because these are speaking against me. See the contrast? So if they're going to speak against me, you speak and silence them. They're using lying tongues, speaking words of hate, 
attacking me without cause. So David has enemies who are seeking to unthrone him, dethrone him, when he has not done what they accuse him of doing. In return for my love, they accuse me. So here he seeks to care for them, and they seek to dethrone him. I give myself to prayer. He gives himself to the Lord. They reward me evil for good, hatred for love. So he loves them, he cares for them, he seeks to provide for them, and they seek to destroy him. This is how the world responds to faithful Christians, by the way. This is what Jesus himself tells us as he prays and he speaks to his disciples as well in that section of John 15, 16, 17, and so forth. If the world hates you, it's because it hated Jesus first. That's what he tells us. So appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. I do want to take a moment here. The word accuse in English or accuser or accusers shows up five times in Psalm 109. The Hebrew word behind this word is going to sound familiar. It's the word Satan. Satan is one of the names that we attribute to the devil, which is just a Greek word in itself. So Satan is the Hebrew. Lucifer is another name that means light bringer. It's another Old Testament reference. So Satan is our our enemy. He is our accuser. That's what he does. He seeks to accuse us before the Lord. To take our sin and hold it up and say that God cannot forgive this. That this man is guilty. Condemn him. So in a imprecatory psalm where David is praying against his enemy it's interesting that our chief enemy as people the devil shows up in the Hebrew numerous times although that doesn't come across in English unless you simply recognize from your own catechetical instruction at some point that accuser and Satan go hand in hand Now, that's not to say that David is necessarily saying, let Satan stand at his right hand. But it's a connection worth making as we talk about enemies. So, appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. This is what the enemy has been doing to David, falsely accusing him. Now, David prays that basically the Lord turn it around. Let somebody stand against him and accuse him. But when he's tried, let it be guilty. So David isn't necessarily praying for a false accusation. He's praying for an accusation and then a guilty sentence. He's praying for the accusation to be true. Lord, you know what wicked things this man has done. Bring them to light. In that way, sure, Satan, be the accuser. Go ahead. Bring to light what this man has done. That's what you like to do. You like to point out sins. Point out this man's sins. Let him be condemned for them. I don't know what David's saying. Let even his prayer be counted as sin. Because his calling out to the Lord would not be of faith. May his days be few, may another take his office. In this context, David here, recognizing that this man has some kind of authority, may it be taken away from him. However, we know from 
the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, verse 20, that the Apostle Peter will use verse 8 here as a reference to Judas Iscariot, that the apostles must appoint another who would take his spot that there may yet be twelve in their company. May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. So, may he be dead. That would be what makes them fatherless and a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. In other words, let his children be driven out, let there be no inheritance for them to receive, because David doesn't want the children to be able to resume the evil of their father. So thoroughly let this evil be put to an end that they don't pick it up too. That's certainly a risk, right? We've got that English phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, to refer to an idea that a child will imitate his father. I guess mother as well, depending. Parents are going to raise the child. And so when you're raised by a parent, they teach you their ways. They teach you what they value. So if this man has been raising these kids, what's he teaching them? What are they learning from watching his ways? They're going to learn to do the same evils. So may the Lord put these kids into such a position that they can't. David expounds on that. If the creditor takes everything that they have, and the strangers plunder all of his fruit, the children have nothing left. They're going to wander, they're going to be beggars, and then they won't be in that position to fight David anymore, to continue the accusations falsely. There'd be none to extend kindness to him, or pity his fatherless children, so so far removed. Nobody cares about this family anymore. And then verse 13, a, a new direction for this, may his posterity be cut off, may his name be blotted out in the second generation. So with his children, may his name end. David prays for his enemy's house to end. A prayer for childlessness for his enemy's children. Most of history up until recent cultures, most of history has seen barrenness as a curse. David just prayed barrenness against his enemy, barrenness to that whole tree, that it would be ultimately cut off, blotted out, not remembered anymore. And verse 14 goes back even further now. It goes the other direction to father and mother. Again, we just talked about this because they raised him. He learned his evil where? So may they also not be remembered. May all of the evil in this family, in this household, be blotted out. We see that happen. If you work your way through the, the books of kings, for example, you'll see a couple of the households of the northern Israel kings wiped out. Jeroboam's household, Baasha's household, uh, God threatens it against Ahab's household, and so forth. For their wickedness. Let their sin, let them, their sin, be before Yahweh continually that he would cut off the memory of them from the earth. David prays that God not forgive them. Pastors today have this authority, although it's a very dangerous thing when you think about it for a sinful man to have such great authority. But God, Jesus, institutes the office of the keys. He tells the disciples that they can forgive or retain sin. Matthew 16, Matthew 18 use those kinds of languages, John chapter 20. 
also speaks of this authority to bind and retain sin. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pastors, you ought not take that lightly. Pray to the Lord to help you be faithful in this matter. If somebody repents, if they confess their sin and they repent, forgive them. We withhold forgiveness from those who refuse repentance. So you point out that they have sinned in whatever that sin may be, and they say they don't care, that they're going to keep on keeping on. That's where the forgiveness is withheld. It's not withheld because the pastor wants to. It's not like, oh, I just don't like this person. I'm not going to forgive them. That would be such a grand abuse of what the Lord has spoken. Christ died to forgive them. How dare you, pastor, withhold that because you have a pet peeve or you have a slight against them. So if you're a lay person, pray for your pastors that the Lord would help them to wield the keys of the church faithfully and diligently. And may the Lord ever so keep me humble also to do the same. If somebody confesses sin, if they repent to me, I don't, I don't go searching the depths of their heart. Are you really repentant? I just share Christ's forgiveness. Just? I mean, it's Christ's forgiveness. It's like the greatest thing there is. Almost forgot where we were in the text here. All right, verse 16. He did not remember to show kindness. So now we're seeing more of what this enemy has done. He pursued the poor and needy, the brokenhearted, to put them to death. So here's a man who is unjust, unrighteous, evil to his core. He loved to curse. What curses come upon him? Return upon him what he loves. He loves curses. Let him enjoy curses, except for let them be on him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. So let, the, let him be so absorbed into curses that he is destroyed by them. He wanted to be far from blessing, so let him be far from blessing. Blessing and curses as opposites of each other. God speaking well upon you, God speaking evil upon you. David prays that this would be his reward. But you, O Yahweh, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. So David prays that God would rescue him. God would care for him and deliver him. I am poor and needy. One that this man has been chasing after. Although we wouldn't normally describe David as poor and needy being king of Israel. However, uh, it's not always a worldly thing, is it? Poor in spirit? That's a beatitude. Needy of the Lord's mercy and forgiveness? That is all of us. David then, in verses 23 to 25, talks about his weakness. Gone like a shadow at evening. Those disappear. He's, he's disappearing. He's fading away. Shaken off like a locust. Right? A, a bug lands on you. You flick it off. You get rid of it. Knees are weak. Body has become gaunt. It's no longer fat. An object of scorn to my accusers. They see me. They wag their heads. So... David in a position where his enemies have so accused him that he has grown weak. Save me. This is his decree, his cry in verse 26. According to your steadfast love, he seeks to hold God to his promises. You have promised. Deliver. Be faithful. 
let them know that this is your hand, O Yahweh, you have done it. So, Lord, destroy them and make sure they know it, that it was you. That could actually be a, a bit of a, a call for repentance, right? That they would know where the, the rebuke comes from in order that they would repent. If they just get sick and die, they might not recognize that that was God's rebuke. So David prays for it to be more obvious than that. Let them curse, but you will bless. This is in regards to how God will treat David. So they curse David, God blesses David. So David will be glad. He will rejoice. Enemies removed, dishonored, wrapped in shame. But David will give praise to God. David will thank God. For he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. David, just to go in verse 6, prayed that God would put a, a wicked man to stand at the right hand of his accuser. But now wants God to stand at his own right hand. So this person at your right hand is almost like what justice brings. So what, what negative justice Right? Judgment come against the one. But may God deliver. May God come and rescue me to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. So those who seek to destroy David, the Lord rescues David from them. So we can pray against our enemies. And we, we really should pray against our enemies. But we also pray for them. It's an intriguing tension of holy word. 